Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. If you have a smartphone, turn on your Bible to Ephesians 4, verse 1. And uh, we will continue our series today called DTR. DTR stands for Define the Relationships. We've been studying for several weeks what it looks like for God to define our relationships. And so we've looked at it, looked at relationships of all kinds and from all different perspectives. And today I, I want to challenge you to think a little bit differently. I want to challenge you to think counterculturally. I want to challenge you to think about what it means to live in long-term relationships. Long-term relationships. Um, I, was, uh, I was watching football a week ago, watching the Iron Bowl. Do you know what the Iron Bowl is? It's the game with Alabama playing Auburn. It, it's like a 78-year-old tradition. It's crazy. I mean, Texas, right? Texas is, football is a sort of religion, no doubt about it. But in Alabama, it goes to a whole nother level. A whole different brand of craziness and fans in that football game. This football game was incredible because it went down to the last second. So the final second, they were arguing over whether or not there was one second on the clock. Alabama was going to kick a field goal, so they took out the field goal unit, and they kicked this field goal. But Auburn had one guy, Chris Davis, in the end zone waiting in case it fell short because you can run it back. So he kicks it. It's short. He catches the ball, and he runs it back on the final play of the game with one second left, 109 yards and scores a touchdown. Auburn wins. It was incredible. It was an incredible game. It was so much fun to watch. But Alabama fans went nuts. Like nuts. Like more than normal. Like crazy. Uh, and I saw an interview with an, a, a really old guy. And I, I thought of it as I was preparing for the idea that we need to make sure our priorities are right in regards to relationships. And this guy, this guy's an Alabama fan. I don't, I don't do a very good I don't do a very good accent, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kind of the feel. All right, I tried to find it on video, but I couldn't find video uh, for it. But um, here's what he said. He said, it, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. You know, just like most of the rest of Alabama fans, I was wanting to die. <laughs> but I can't leave my wife... <laughs> She needs me. We've been together so long. <laughs> Alabama's first in my life, and my wife and family are second. <laughs> I mean, he was serious. Like, you think he was funny, but he was totally serious. You know, like, Alabama's first, and my wife and family are second. And as I watched that little interview, I was like, wow. These priorities are messed up. And I think sometimes it's easy to get lulled into a, a stupor in our current culture that we, we don't think clearly about what kind of relationship God wants us to have. We think in, in terms of a, of, of a short, narrow time frame, or, we, or, we, or really what happens a lot is we have a whole bunch of relationships that are very surface-oriented. We have all kinds of segments of our lives. We have our kids, school, we have hobbies, we have church, we have work, we have all these different things, but they're all surface-level relationships. We can't get very deep. And I think we have to 
challenge that idea. The Apostle Paul is talking about this, I think, in Ephesians 4.1. We'll start here, and it says in verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Everybody say worthy. He's talking about living a life worthy of the calling of Jesus. We're in the kingdom of God. Relationships function differently than those who are not in the kingdom of God. And so he says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. Verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. And be patient. Everybody say patient. Uh-oh. Patient. Bearing with one another. I want you to say that phrase. Bearing with one another. <laughs> Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do you know why he's saying this? Because it's so easy not to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You have to work at it. He says, there is one God, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, as you read through that passage... All of chapter 4 is really about relationships in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ and how we should live with one another. But it strikes me that as he begins, his emphasis is on patience. You can't really develop patience in a short-term relationship. <laughs> you don't really have to bear with one another if, you don't be, if you're not friends with them very long. And I find that in our current society, I think people develop friendships and then sort of move on. If, if you consider it, in the digital age that we're living in, where instant messaging and Facebook, Facebook friends are the measurement tools for our relationships, um, we're tempted to surrender to the instant gratification, right? Say those two words, instant gratification. There's like an immediacy that we live in uh, of short-term relationships. And the way, think about it, the way we find jobs, um, the way we switch careers, the way we change churches, the way we move neighborhoods, the way we engage in new hobbies and the rate at which we just engage in different things, we start to value convenience and consumerism above are maybe more historical and sturdy character-building principles. Our advances in technology have made the speed at which we communicate the highest value. The speed at which we communicate the highest value. My son, Taylor, is 17 years old, and he text, will text me from time to time asking for permission to do something or whatever, and then about 10 minutes later, he'll text me again and say, didn't you get my text? As if to say, you should respond to me right now. And I'm still in the, I'm in the generation that thinks it's rude to be in a conversation with somebody else and then look down and start a conversation with somebody online. Okay, all right, all right, settle down, people. Because we're going to lose. <laughs> here's, here's the issue. We are losing in terms of the way relationships are developed. As the body of Christ. And I want you to I want to challenge you to think counterculturally in the way that you value long-term relationships versus short-term relationships. Because in the kingdom of God, friends and followers should refer to more than Facebook and Twitter. 
When we're talking about friends and we're talking about followers, we should be talking about friends of depth, of meaning, of purpose, of value. And we should be talking about followers who follow Jesus. We should be talking about what it takes to make disciples. And I submit to you that it takes longer to make disciples than any of us are really comfortable with. And if we resist long-term relationships, or if we don't know, I don't know that we resist them. I think sometimes we don't value them enough. Or, I'll say it this way, sometimes we are in long-term relationships. We have long-term relationships, but they don't live near us. Or they don't engage with us in a routine way that makes the, the relationship deep and meaningful. They may be long-term friends, good friends that you could pick up a conversation like that. I was recently somewhere, uh, I was in, I was in uh, Castle Rock, Colorado a few weeks ago. You, I, I missed a Sunday here because I was speaking in a church where I'm an overseer. And that church asked me to come because I'm good friends with Mark and Christy Marble. And Mark and Christy Marble have been friends for 25 years. And she's suffering from cancer. And she, she uh, has developed ovarian cancer. And so they're in the process of fighting that cancer. And he asked all of his overseers and some of his friends to come and fill in in the pulpit on the weeks that she takes her chemo. So I made the commitment to go and to, and, and to be there on that uh, on that Sunday. But we, I walked in the house and it was immediate. It was like, bam. It was just like, I mean, we no distance had traveled because we were deep. Now, I appreciate those kind of relationships. And I think at the end of the day, those kind of relationships are the powerful ones. But what I want to submit to you today is that most of us live without those in our lives in a routine way, in a consistent way. And so I want to talk to you about this today, and I want, to, I want you to think about it in terms of pragmatic Christianity, you know, because I fear, I fear we look at Christianity in much, too, um, uh, much of a pragmatic way instead of in a spiritually mature way. When it comes to spiritual growth, we're often tempted to take shortcuts and deal with the symptoms instead of taking the road less traveled to transformation. I think we read the Bible sometimes for emotional comfort instead of to let God work in us over time. We, we, read the, we read the Bible to get its promises and claim them so that our problem can be fixed immediately instead of the healing of our soul that takes much longer. We need a consistent spiritual approach that I think has long-term relationships at its core. I'll give you an example in the scriptures. When the people of Israel were told that they were going to take the promised land. You know, they, they were delivered from Egypt. And then they wandered in the desert for 40 years as God essentially taught them how to be in their own nation. When they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were essentially welfare people that lived on the society of the Egyptians. But he, they, he, he goes through Leviticus. You've ever wondered why Leviticus is so hard to read? God's trying to teach them how to be a people, how to be a nation. He's trying to teach them how to build the latrine outside the camp. How to deal with sores and what color they need to be and when to separate people. It's crazy reading. But that's what he's doing. He's discipling a nation. And so he's teaching them all this. And he's promised them the promised land. And he sends them into the promised land. And it, it occurs to me that he just could have wiped out all the people that lived in the promised land and gave them the property. But instead, 
he, he asks them, he tells them to go fight. He, he, he instructs them to conquer those people and to move into that land and to do it a little bit at a time or else it'll be overwhelming or they'll get discouraged. And so they do it a little bit at a time. And it's, I think it's much harder to deal with that way of growing and maturing, right? It's like we want what we want and we want it now. And I fear that our relationships are, are succumbing to this idea because short-term relationships, right, are exciting. Short-term relationships have emotional intensity. You know, sometimes when we're young and we're looking for a spouse or we're looking for the person that we're going to be with the rest of our life, we're looking for that spark, that spark, and we find that spark in a person, and we're so excited. But really, what God has in mind for you as a person is to, is to live with that person for many, many years. You may stand at the altar, and you may say some vows about how much you love them. But the truth is, that love is going to be demonstrated over many years before it becomes really satisfying and fulfilling. So long-term relationships are more about stability, more about perspective, the boring stuff, more about character building and perseverance, more about reality rather than fantasy. So these are the kind of relationships I'm talking about developing. The relationships where you call them in a crisis, you know you can call them and they'll be right there. The relationships where you look each other in the eye and ask the hard questions. And you do that routinely. That that's just part of your life. I'm talking about the kind of relationships where you love each other enough to accept each other the way you are. But you love each other so much that you're willing to challenge one another to become all that God wants you to be. To become all that God wants us to be. I think these are the kinds of long-term relationships that are powerful. Now, let me, let me say this. There are some relationships that are so dysfunctional you've got to get out of them. But I fear that in an age of self-help and self-esteem as the primary values, we give up on working through issues. I will tell you, I think there are unhealthy, dysfunctional churches that beat people up. I, I don't think people have to s stick it out forever when it's so poisonous. I, I'm shocked that the body of Christ can be so poisonous. But I, I want us to think about how to have healthy relationships because what I'm talking about are healthy, long-term relationships. Healthy long-term relationships. So I'm going to give you the value of long-term relationships today because I want you to think about it. The value of investing in long-term relationships. Here it is. The value of long-term relationships, number one, is trust is earned and credibility begins to be established. It's an incredible thing to have people that you know you can rely on. You're an amazing blessing to others when they know they can rely on you. When they question whether or not they can rely on you, um, that's, that's bad. My kids, um, 
you know, as I'm raising them, and especially my teenagers, I tell them, look, I love you, and I have loved you since you were born. I loved you the moment you came out of the womb. I saw your little face, and I can't explain it. I was in love with you. I love you so much. However, as you grow up, you've got to earn trust. You've got to earn trust in, from your parents. You've got to earn trust in your boss. You've got to earn trust at school. You've got, trust is just always earned. It's a risk for people no matter how you slice it. And that's why you earn it. I think when you're willing to be in a relationship where there's a, a back and forth, where you deal with some of the struggles of a relationship, it becomes a place where you begin to have Credibility, something I like to call predictability. Now, look, once you get to know somebody really well, you can begin to predict how they're going to respond in a certain situation. One of the things that I got really tired of when I planted this church a few years ago um, was I got tired of people not knowing what I was going to do. I kept having to explain to them who I was and, and a lot of, a lot of, description of values and concepts and 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 this the the idea of having to meet new people over and over again is can be challenging but i think um i think once people begin to know you well enough there there's becomes a predictability that that creates confidence let's think about Think about how to trust another person. Now, what happens, what we're talking about in here is having the conversations about your strengths and weaknesses. Look what Proverbs 27 says. Proverbs 27 says, verse 5 through 7 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Do you have any relationships where somebody can just openly rebuke you? (laughs) We typically don't like those relationships. But I tend to think that it's only the people who've known you a long time who get permission to openly rebuke you. So if you don't stay around long enough, you never develop people who can challenge you. The next verse says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend are faithful, the NIV says, or the uh, New King James Version says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Be very careful of the people who always say great things about you because you're not that great. I want to say this too. When you, when you develop these kinds of relationships, you, be, you begin to build, when trust is developed, you begin to build a speed at which things can be accomplished. Everybody say speed. There is a speed at which things can be accomplished because you're no longer having to question motives. You're no longer having to deal with communication because you have it down. See, okay, so three years into our church, right? The truth is, for some of you, the excitement has waned it's gone it's not new anymore and this is kind of how it works i tend to think that i tend to think that it takes about three or four years to get to know somebody three or four years to really get to know somebody now some of you i haven't known that long but we're we are enjoying a great friendship what i'm saying is the investment and thinking long term means that about year three about year four you start to really be able to work together to accomplish something amazing 
I think it happens in marriage all the time. There's a moment, once you get married, you've said your vows, but three years in when you're facing the most difficult crisis of your young relationship, there's a decision. Am I really going to marry this person? Because <laughs> that's the moment you really get married. Right? That's the most you, moment you really decide, I'm going to marry this woman or I'm going to marry this man. Because you see their flaws. And so there's a, there's a wounding that can be trusted. And once that happens over and over again and trust is earned, guess what happens? You begin to accomplish all kinds of great things in your character, in your life together. You can coordinate. You are strong as a group of people. Listen, one chapel, we are just on the cusp of accomplishing the greatest things that we can accomplish in our young, short history. We haven't done anything yet. We've gathered some people together, and we see people uh, being healed and people being saved. And, I mean, I, it's an incredible thing. I, when, I, when I ask people every week, I mean, it seems like without fail, somebody is committing their life to Christ for the first time or they're recommitting their life because they've been away from him. Every Sunday, that's a miracle, right? But, but it's not until we've been together for a while that we begin to be able to really understand each other, know what the other's going to do, and then be able to capitalize and create what they call synergy. Synergy. The greatest strengths all working together to accomplish great things in our city. And the truth is, our city needs us. The great crisis is that people are living without Christ. The great crisis is that people need a community to belong to, where people are going to love them even through their own weaknesses. That leads us to the idea of number, number two, which is strengths are valued and weaknesses are protected. Strengths are valued and weaknesses are protected. What this means is that the way that God has designed relationships to work is that you bring your strengths to the table because others have weaknesses that are perfect for your strengths to compensate for. No one here has to suffer from their greatest weakness. You know why? Because there's somebody sitting in this room who's been there before, who knows what you're going through and has strength that God has built inside of them, the way he's wired them, to help you figure it out. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. He doesn't give any one person all the strengths. Hate to disappoint you. Many of you think that the pastor has all the strengths and that's why he's the pastor. <laughs> Not true. Just talk to my wife. But God puts us together in a community so that our strengths and weaknesses will compensate for each other. And there's a power to it that we begin to discover over a length of time, a discovery. And I want to read one of the cornerstone scriptures of one chapel is Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Those of you who have been with us for the last three years, you've heard me say this many times. I'm going to say it again today. Here's the verse. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will, in, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. That means in order to mature, you have to have truth and love. Can't just have truth, beating people up all the time with the truth. Well, Pastor Ross, don't you know it's the truth that sets you free? You just need more truth. All these people, they just need to shape up and learn the truth. You know what truth without love leads to? It leads to meanness, legalism. It leads to this strange pressure. 
if you go the other direction, it's just all about love and, and, and it's just love. We just need to love each other the way we are. But then you never get around to telling the truth. That's the way most relationships work, by the way. They don't really know what you're thinking. Because we just, in the name of love, we love each other. We don't, and we never risk wounding anyone because that does, that's uh, somehow in our culture, that's defined as not loving each other. There's a fantastic quote that I want to give you. But I heard several years ago, and it's this. If your enemies, the people who don't call you a friend, if they're the first ones to actually tell you your faults or to expose your flaws, then you don't have any real friends. It's great. If your first people are the enemies to tell you about your flaws or your faults, you don't have any real friends. There's something about strengths and weaknesses, speaking the truth in love. And look, all the work is in creating an atmosphere and environment of love. All the work that we're doing in this church is figuring out how to create community strong enough, enough time spent together that we can actually tell each other the truth. If you just have love without truth, you, you, you develop weak believers. You develop immature believers. Because you never, never shoot straight with them. I, and, this, and this process is so hard. It's tricky and it requires time and it requires energy. I ran across this video this week um, of a couple, a married couple. It's trying to figure out how to tell the truth in love. How to, you know, because love is kind of about listening and just letting people express. And truth is kind of about telling them what's really wrong. And it's, it's a struggle. So watch this video. I, I think you'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> that is one of the best videos I've ever seen. My favorite line is, uh, all my sweaters are snagged. I don't know. <laughs> the truth and love thing, you have to figure it out. You have to learn what the boundaries are. But it takes time to do that. It takes energy. It takes a willingness to put up with the other person's weakness over a period of time. And just be willing to acknowledge. Listen, we all have weaknesses. Get used to it. Get over it, that you have a weakness, and then engage in relationships that are healthy enough and strong enough and will last long enough to speak into your life and help you fix it. Number three, when you have healthy long-term relationships, the value of it is fear is replaced by security and confidence. It's amazing what people can accomplish if they're secure and confident in what God's doing in their lives. If they, if they feel the confidence of the relationships around them. So many people in American culture feel insecure about the relationships. They're insecure about the, the, the picture they present to their friends. They're, they're afraid of what people will think of them if they know the dirt. Can I challenge you that we've got to get past that to understanding what's really going on, on the inside. And then we can accept one another, love one another. We can... We can Share our lives with one another. It's such an important thing. First John 4, 18 through 19 in the Message Bible says this. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Well-formed. What we're working on is well-formed love with one another. And that takes time. It takes energy. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is a life not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. 
We're going to commit to the long-term love. Love and be loved. First we were loved. Now we love. He loved us first. Jesus started it all. He's loving us. Love can only be demonstrated by consistent living for someone else's good over a long period of time. Have you ever heard of this um, condition? It's a social anxiety condition called FOMO. FOMO, it's called. It's fear of missing out. Fear of, it's a form of social anxiety. So it's a compulsive concern for missing out on opportunities. So you know what happens? Is you're always like afraid you're going to miss something. So you keep all these relationships, massive amounts of relationships, and you're always just worried about how to be involved in everything that's going on. Listen, you can't be involved in everything that's going on. You've got to choose some people to live with. You've got to choose some people. Look, it's a concern of missing out on an opportunity for social interaction, a novel experience, profitable investment, or other satisfying event. Go to the next thing. It results in compulsively checking social media networks for status updates and messages. Some of you need to, some of you need to fast your Facebook. <laughs> Actually, this is, they find this a lot in the, the, the younger generation that's coming up because they've been living with social media all their lives. And so there's a hesitancy to commit to anything, any event. Somebody, they'll invite a, uh, uh, each other to some event and they'll go, oh yeah, mm, I, you know, I'd love to come. Let me just check my schedule and just see if I can come. I'm not sure if I can because I've got several things going on, but I'll, I'll let you know. That is classic in our culture. We're afraid of committing. We're afraid we might miss out on something else. Could I suggest to you that we're trading short-term sort of satisfaction with options for long-term health and security? It's impossible to create these values that I'm just talking about in a short-term relationship. Really difficult to do. What am I saying to some of you who just arrived in Austin? Or you maybe do, I'm not saying that too bad for you, buddy. <laughs> you don't have any long-term relationships. No, what I'm saying is, is that we have to be committed to these kind of relationships because it affects how you act now. It affects, this, this mindset affects how you act now. Because here's the thing, long-term relationships, I believe, are God's primary instrument for kingdom expansion. You know what Jesus prayed in John 17? He was praying for his disciples, and then he prayed for everybody who was going to come after them. And you know what he prayed? He said, Father, make them one like you and I are one. In other words, put them together so that they'll know each other as well as we know each other. And he gave a reason for that. The reason he gave for that was so that the world would believe that you sent me. It's our namesake, One Chapel. It is the prayer we're trying to have answered through the work of Christ in our lives. That unifying knowledge and understanding and connection with one another, it is the key to expansion of the gospel. Now listen, listen, there's one thing, one idea that gets exalted and catapulted above the idea of long-term relationships in the scriptures, and it is this. It is this one idea. Sending people out to carry the gospel to another place. That's the one thing. Jesus declares it. He, he talks about it. He talks about how you, 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 you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. 
right? You got to go. You got to be willing to surrender to God. You can't love your mom and dad and your family more than him. These are all suggestions that there's one value that is so high that it's worthy of sending people to a place to start new relationships. Make me happy when I buy. It's what one chapel is. I came here from Colorado Springs and a church there who who loves me. I'm still part of the family. They still pray for me. They still uh, call me, encourage me, and follow me on on Instagram and make little comments. And it, I mean, they love me because I have long term investment. They're praying for you, too. So what should I consider doing to make a long-term relationship part of my life? All right, here's what I, I want to give you two, a few coaching things. And I'll just go real quick here. Number one, I want you to consider living in the same city for a long time. As I said, this is countercultural. Right now, you can move to any city you want to, and sometimes you feel like you have to because you've got to find the right job or the right career move. What, what if you considered not doing that. I, I made a fundamental decision. My, my dad was a pastor, and we pastored in six different locations by the time I was 18. I made a fundamental decision that I was going to live in one place for as long as I could. And the only way God was going to uproot me <laughs> was if he wanted to send me somewhere. So I'm happy to be here in Austin. I love Austin. I love no snow in May. I love, I love the fact that it's just cold enough, long enough in Austin for me to remember how much I hate it. I love, I love that. I, I love where God has sent me. But here's the thing. I, I'm going to die here. I'm going to, I mean, not soon, but I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to live in Austin till I'm old and gray because I, I, I think God sent me here and I'm, I've made a fundamental commitment to long-term investments in relationships. I want you to consider thinking like that. Number two, I want you to stay in, think, think about, consider staying in the same neighborhood instead of moving to the bigger house. This will be great for your pocketbook as well as your heart. It could be that God wants you to reach the people on your city and you need to live there longer than the three and a half years it's going to take for the market to change your house into something really good for you to benefit from. This will also encourage you to just live within your means. Number three, attend the same church through the ordinary seasons. Do you know, there, here's the thing. If church is like a family... Most of the time, families eat pretty common meals. You can't come to church every week and think it's going to be Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be a lot of bologna sandwiches. <laughs> and, uh, and, and peanut butter and jelly. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I think that's, I think that's how we live normal life together. Number four, continue to engage in a small group through the conflict. You know, you, a small group lasts about as long as conflict <laughs> arises. So that when you get a group of people together and they stay together long enough, there's a, there's a moment where you have to work through something. Um, consider staying connected to those people. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying don't invite other people into your group. You should. Part of what we're doing here is inviting people into our community. We're not becoming exclusive at all. We should never become exclusive. God's 
desire is for more people to live in a community where long-term relationships are valued. So, so, but consider that dynamic. Number five, change your mindset from a sprint to a marathon. Just in life in general, change your mindset from a sprint to a, a marathon. Strong, powerful, intimate relationships are only built over time. Strong, powerful, intimate relationships can. There's, there is no substitute. You can't, you can't hurry them up. You can't become best friends in three days. I know people like to say it. It's not true. There's something that has to happen here. Everyone needs a new start occasionally. I'm just suggesting we consider prioritizing our lives in a different way. I'm suggesting we consider embracing the values of long-term relationships and treating other people in our lives like we're going to know them in 20 years. Because when you decide, I'm going to know this person in 20 years, it should change the way you treat them today. And I think that's how God wants us to treat one another. With the value and the depth of our relationship with him. Just close your eyes and bow your heads and let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and 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 convict you of the places in your life where you may not value others as much as you should. Or maybe challenge you to be more vulnerable or spend more time investing in others. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's nudging you today to think about your own schedule and how busy it is and how full of it is that you don't end up going very deep with anybody. Maybe he's just going to whisper to you that he loves you and uh, that you're love, lovable and that you have value and others need to know you and you have strengths that others need. Whatever it is, I want you to just to consider saying yes to him. Yes to the marathon of what God wants to do in your life. Yes to the process of building perseverance and character in a community of people that love one another. Yes to your life being shaped by the others around you. Father, I pray for every person in the room, all of us looking to you Would you heal our hearts from past hurts, past wounds? Would you heal us of the fears of relationships that have gone bad and relationships that have been torn apart by selfishness or by cruelty? Woundedness that was not in the name of faithfulness or trust, but in the name of violation. Father, heal our hearts. Heal us today. And help us to embark upon the journey of healing that only comes when we live with others 
in a way that honors you and opens our lives to another. Help us to share our lives with each other. Encourage us, Lord. Encourage each one of us to surrender our lives to your calling, to think differently, to be countercultural in the way we treat relationships, in the way we think about them. Okay, Marty wants to say something here, so just keep your eyes closed and keep your heart focused on God. So I feel like the Lord would speak to um, a group of people in the room that have a, a bit of a, a hang-up with not the message that Pastor Ross is speaking, which is so full and rich. They have no hang-up with that, but they have a hang-up with it applying to them. That you have an issue with, with maybe the way you were raised and the way that you saw relationships play out. And so you don't have this fear of missing out. It's much more of like an orphan mindset. Um, I come from that. And so you, so I think the Lord would say that these long-term relationships that Ross is speaking about are not too good to be true. That today is a new day and it's a day to, to take the very first step into the relationships that are near and dear to you now and to, to believe that that they will be there long term. Okay, let me just pray for those that maybe have that resonating in their hearts. Father, for the orphans in the room, the ones that take on a, a, a bit of a, a pessimistic attitude toward relationship in general, I pray, Father, that you would break the yoke, that you would break the bondage, Father, that leaves us believing that it's true, but not for us. And that you would help us to be aware of your spirit moving in the relationships we're in now. And that we would take the big giant first leaps, that, that, that giant step out into nowhere, Father, where maybe we've been hurt before. And that we would allow you to begin to work in us those relationships that would last, that would be there in truth and in love, and to walk with us. And that we would have people as we go through life that reflect more of you back to us, that we would honor those people and that we would not give up on the idea of trust, Lord. Break that over us, that we would not not look down our nose at, is this person really going to be there for me? But Father, almost in a childlikeness, that we commit to them in a new way this morning, I pray in Jesus' name.